0: Hey, welcome everyone to the Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is Sunday, November 21, 2021. We're continuing in our series on prayer, but this Sunday, Pastor Bob Bratzliff is going to be bringing God's word to us about the Garden of Gethsemane and prayer. God bless you you listen. Well, good morning. I'd like to say thank you to the pastor for being gracious to allow me to preach when he had to cancel his trip. And uh, that's very kind of him to do that. I see Vince Weger has backslidden. (laughs) He's way back there, and he usually is up here. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, I have good news for you this morning. In about 30 or 31 days, the days will start to get longer again. I want to talk and continue in the theme of prayer that our pastor has begun. And uh, this morning I'm wearing a pin on my lapel, which is one of my favorites. I'm a collector of lapel pins. And this one here is a little blue one, highlighted in gold. And at the bottom of the pin it says, by prayer. Up from that is a silhouette of Africa. And above that is the mission SIM. On the east side of this African silhouette is highlighted the country of Ethiopia. On the west side of the silhouette is highlighted the country of Nigeria. In the days before colonialism had divided up Africa, there was a time in which the Area between Nigeria and Ethiopia, from the west coast of Africa to the east coast of Africa, and south of the Sahara Desert and north of the Congo Basin, and the jungle part, was known as the Sahel or the Sudan. S-O-U-D-A-N, not the country S-U-D-A-N that we have today, although it was part of that, but it was known as the S-O-U-D-A-N. And that's how the SIM got its name. Sudan, Sudan Interior Mission. But the bottom part of this pin is what I want to draw our attention to, particularly this morning. By prayer. This mission was established by prayer, maintained by prayer, and I trust it still exists by prayer, because it's the mission that I grew up under, with my mother and father as missionaries to Ethiopia. And it's also the mission that my wife and I served under for a number of years, although most of my time was at home here as a pastor. By prayer. Jesus was a prayer. He was such a prayer that he caught the attention of his disciples and they were mystified at what in the world he could pray about all night. No wonder they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. They'd never seen anybody who could do that before. And so Jesus didn't teach them how to pray all night. He gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer, although the real Lord's Prayer is in John chapter 17. But he gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer as a template... Of how to pray all night. And that we build upon if we are to truly become prayers and knowledgeable prayers and praying about the right things, the things that are important to God and to us. And so Jesus prayed. Muslims pray five times a day if they're devout, set times. Jews had three set times a day for specific designated prayer. Unfortunately, though, it's ritualistic prayer. You count the beads and say the prayer or over and over the same thing. This is not how Jesus intends for us to pray. And so he gives us instructions and an example in prayer. I want to read to you the story of Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm going to do it from a book just simply called Jesus. And it is a synopsis of the four Gospels in an orderly way as the person who put it together took the four Gospels, the early part of Acts, and did this book. Because it's in a vernacular that we're used to, and there's no, it's not really a translation per se, would you just listen as I read Jesus and the apostles crossed the ravine of Cedars. Otherwise, we know it as Kidron. Climbed the Mount of Olives and walked to a place Jesus knew well, a garden known as Gethsemane. Wait here, he told the apostles. I'm going over there to pray. Simon, James, John, you come with me. These were the three closest to Jesus, the three disciples. As the three of them went with him, Jesus was suddenly almost overwhelmed with grief. Oh, my soul, he cried out. The agony, I don't know whether I can stand it. Stay here and keep a lookout. He continued on, a stone's throw and collapsed. Oh, my father, he prayed, you can do anything. If it is possible, let me draw back from this agony. But let it be as you want, not I. The angel came and strengthened him. He continued to pray in an agony of spirit, the perspiration running down his face like blood and dropping to the ground. After a time, he got to his feet and went back to where the apostles were, exhausted by their grief And because it was now early morning, they had fallen asleep. He shook Peter awake. You're sleeping, Simon, he said. Couldn't you stand watch for even an hour? Stay awake and pray that you may escape the testing ahead. I know you want to stay awake, but the body's a weak thing. He left them and went off to pray. Oh, my father, he groaned, if there is no other way, your will be done. When he returned to the apostles, sometime later, he found that they had fallen asleep again. He went back to the garden to pray again, and then returned to where they lay. Go ahead, have your sleep now, he said, but no, look, I'm about to be betrayed. Get up, men, the traitor. Is here. As we look at Gethsemane's prayer, we have much that we can learn ourselves. First of all, he said to them in the temple, My house shall be a house of prayer. In the early days in Ethiopia, southern Ethiopia, as the evangelical church was beginning to grow, There was objection from the state church, the Orthodox Church, about us using the name Christian in regards to our churches. And so they called their churches Beta Christian or House of Christ or Christians. And so they told us we were not to use that term, but rather some other term to describe our churches. And so the people chose the term house of prayer. Till this day, the churches in southern Ethiopia are known as houses of prayer. And oh my, are they houses of prayer. They get up every morning, at least when I was out there and amongst them, wake up everybody at the house, in the house at 5.30 in the morning, and the household leader, the father, leads the household in a time of prayer. We missionaries didn't get up till six thirty. And we got our clothes on and then we assembled together at one of the mission station houses and started our prayer time at seven AM. And the Ethiopians understood that we had our weaknesses. So you missionaries, you you know, you have your weaknesses, so it's okay. And then we would go back for breakfast and by 8 o'clock we were ready for the work of the day. But the work had already been done because we had met for prayer. It was mandatory. Under the SIM, whose motto was by prayer, prayer was mandated. Every Friday, one Friday of every month was set aside All missionary work was closed for the work. And the work was prayer. Everybody shut down for a day of prayer once a month. That's when I began to learn that there's more to pray about than just sick people. Although that's important too. My father once said to me, have you ever noticed that 80% of our prayers at prayer meetings are about sick people? have we nothing more to pray about than that? Now, I believe we should pray for the sick, but there is more to prayer than that, folks. And we need to think about what we're doing when we meet for prayer. And so we would pray about evangelists and church pastors that were in prison. We would pray about missionaries who were standing before the courts and had cases against them. We would pray about areas that were still not conquered for the gospel. We would pray about the evangelists that were trying to plant churches in those areas. We would pray about all kinds of things, about translations, about the work. And then every Wednesday we would meet with the Africans in the afternoon for prayer on our stations. Then, besides that, there was intermission prayer in which S.I.M., the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, the uh, Baptists, the Mennonites, all the different groups that served in Ethiopia, large or small, would meet for what they called intermission prayer. And that was one Wednesday afternoon every month, but that was only in the capital city. Where there were intermission or mission headquarters and offices. Prayer was a way of life. It's something that the mission believed in, and it was mandatory. It wasn't optional. We were informed in no uncertain terms that it was mandatory. Folks, is mandatory prayer good? Yes, it is, because prayer is a discipline. Prayer does not happen if we don't make it a discipline of our lives. At least it does not happen enough. And so Jesus was a disciplined prayer. Notice that prayer should have some familiarity. And we'll get some scriptures up here now at this time. That It needs to be done in a public place, or it can be done in a public place, and it often is but it is not meant to be the place for showing off or self-righteousness. Always has mystified me that in some uh, churches that I've listened to sermons from or heard their services, that when the preacher gets up to pray, his voice changes and he goes up an octave. Somehow he has a prayer octave. No, no, folks. There is no pretend In prayer, public prayer needs to be authentic, it needs to be from the heart, and it can stay on the octave that you use. It's meant to be a place, not a place for showing off at all. He said to them, My house shall be a house of prayer, but he also warned and he said in Luke 18, Two men went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." Matthew 6, 5 and 6 says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen of others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go to your room and shut the door and pray to your Father in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I know in our culture, this sounds a little weird, but in the Middle East, praying in public and making a show of it is very common. It shows how holy you are. Muslims do it. The Jews do it. They're not at all ashamed, you know. They don't hold uh, their mouth over their face at the mealtime in a restaurant to pray. Now I'm not saying we all have to be like my father who would stand up in the booth and the whole restaurant would hear the prayer for the meal. I'm not suggesting that, although it wouldn't hurt. But we're not to use prayer as a show-off event. And there often is a show-off event to let people know just how holy you are and how righteous you are. Jesus said, have a quiet place. We're told that this quiet place can be a garden. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with the disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met with his disciples there. We often think of the Garden of Gethsemane as the kind of penultimate event that took place before the cross but no it was more than that for Jesus Jesus and the disciples often went there before it got so touristy the garden tomb in Jerusalem was a place that if you went early in the morning to you could get in they would open the door and let you in if you and you could I've been in the garden tomb early in the morning as the sun rose And I was the only one there. What an experience. No tourist buses had arrived. I've done that twice, and I wish I could do it every week. The beauty and the quietness. And to be with God. We know he's with us all the time. But there was something beautiful about meeting in that garden. The Garden of Gethsemane was a place to which Jesus often took his disciples. We also are told in Luke 6, 12 and 13, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray. When you have a definite article in Greek, folks, it's, worth, it's important. The mountain. I'm glad we don't know which mountain that was because somebody would have put a shrine up there and worshipped the shrine. It wasn't just any old mountain. It was the mountain that Jesus went to all the time to pray. Often all night. And they knew where it was. And all night he commanded, he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 who he named apostles. No wonder Jesus told us. To pray for laborers for the harvest field. He did not choose his disciples without prayer. All night. I wonder what he said to God. Because boy were they a diverse bunch. I always as a pastor used to try and find out who my enemies were in the church. And then try and get them elected to the deacon's board. Or elder's board. Because I needed the variety. I needed the correction. I needed those who perhaps saw it a little differently than I did. And did Jesus ever have a bunch like that? He didn't want a bunch of people who were just clones. He wanted people whom he could challenge and who could challenge him. And he could be a great testimony and example to. Because God needs all of us in this ministry of prayer. And he needs us in the ministry of everything else. And so the harvest field is ripe for harvest. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he might call people into his harvest field. When I started my ministry in Duncan, British Columbia, I looked at my congregation, and we were a congregation that had sent out some missionaries previously, and pastors previously, but not for a long time. Not for a long, long time. And uh, it had been so many years that anybody had gone out from our congregation, even though we were a supporting congregation of missionaries and the work of the denomination, we still were not sending anybody. And so I, asked, I challenged the congregation, and I led them myself by publicly praying at least once a month or at least every two weeks for a while that the Lord would begin to call people from our church into the ministry. And out to the mission field as well. And we did that consistently, folks, for 12 years. I had the privilege at Briarcrest, at Briarcrest of teaching three of our own young people. After I had moved on. I had the privilege of seeing seven of our young people going out into the ministry and the mission field. We had the privilege as a result of those prayers of supporting these people. What a wonderful thrill it was to be a sending church. A church that had prayed for people to go into the harvest field. And you know what? The number of pastors that went out from us are still pastoring some of them today. Although they're starting to get, like I am, older. But praise God, God answers prayer. He chose his disciples after prayer. Notice something else about fellowship in prayer. Matthew 26, 36, and 37 says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful, And troubled. Jesus. Wanted company. In prayer. He needed other people. With him. Do you ever feel that you'd like somebody to pray with? Do you ever feel like you'd like a whole bunch of people to pray with? Sometimes in our times of greatest need. We need other people. Who will care about us. And care about what we're caring about, and also we can care about what they're caring about, and bringing before God Almighty, Jesus chose His three closest to be with Him at this time of great agony. Notice Mark fourteen thirty-seven. And He came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, Are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? I usually don't go to sleep in church. But, you know, uh, I will say that prayer meetings are the times when I have the toughest time staying awake sometimes. But I have a good wife who notices that. Now, her big concern is that she I not snore accidentally. <laughs> but, you know... What's happened to our church and our fellowship prayer meetings? I'm very thankful to say that in many churches today, we have more prayer than we used to have when prayer was only done on Wednesday nights. Today, our Bible study groups, many of them have a prayer segment to them. That is part of it. And prayer, folks, is not just talking to God, it is listening to God. Part of the problem is that we think that all we have to do when we pray is to talk to God. Instead of saying, Lord, what do you want me to know from you today? It's exciting to hear from God. Prayer is a two-way thing. And so consider yourself fortunate. And one of the ways, if you've run out of uh, things to listen, and you're not sure, is to take the word of God and read a little bit of it and let God speak to you through his word towards the issue that you're concerned about. The Psalms are very helpful. Proverbs, the wisdom literature... Our Lord Jesus Christ needed help that night. And he wasn't getting it. Now, do you blame the disciples for being tired? How would you like to go all day and then go to a mountain all night and pray and then come back and keep on working? The stamina of the Lord Jesus Christ always amazes me. But after all, he was at the height of his stamina when he was 30 years old. That's when we men are at the greatest of our strength. And yet, I'm sure they were weary in prayer sometimes. Folks, have you ever felt like not going to prayer meeting when prayer is called? I'm going to say something that might shock some of you. But so be it. I have never been to a prayer meeting that I wanted to go to. but I have never been to a prayer meeting I was sorry I went to. Think about that. The devil wants to keep us from doing this. He works against this. He knows that this is the power of God when we come and meet with him. God's power descends upon us and God begins to work and he works for years ahead about things that we prayed about. He's already hearing us. But he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Well, that just simply means for quite a chunk of the night, I would say, at this point. Prayer in the flesh. You know, Jesus, as he cried out with tears to his heavenly father, and he was told that he would need to go through with what was before him, The flesh fought it. Prayer is not something we do in addition to the work. It is the work, former SIM director Ian Hay said. That's worth writing down. Prayer is not something that we do in addition to the work. It is the work. No wonder this mission that had by prayer as its motto Had mandatory times of prayer when we were all required to do this, and I can honestly tell us, tell you that unless you set aside some mandatory time for prayer, it won't happen, and Satan will have the victory. The flesh resisting our prayers, prayer in the future. Luke 10, verse 2, tells us this. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Your pastor hasn't told me this, but another Alliance pastor has told me this. That the list of pastors who are will be leaving the ministry in the next short time in the alliance, is significant. Not because they're just getting old. And also, there don't seem to be as many going to school and preparing. Is that something that we as alliance people should be praying about? Absolutely. That the Lord begin to prepare men that will be ministers in our churches. Because what's before us doesn't look all that encouraging. And I dare say many other denominations could say the same thing. So folks, we can pray that the Lord begins to call people into his service. I think I read recently that our missionary numbers are down. And we can blame that on closed borders and changing circumstances in the world. And that's all legitimate. But there's no need for them to be down. We can pile more into places where we can go. So we need to pray, the Lord of the harvest. Jesus also said in Mark 13 33, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. I have to pray and ask God to keep me from sinning, because I don't want to be found naked as His coming. I used to have a deacon who knew me too well, I guess. And he said, he would say at deacons' meetings when we'd have our time of prayer, we always had every deacon prayed, myself included, before we even had a meeting. We would have time of prayer. I think we have it here too. And, you know, he would pray like this. Vince, listen. He would say... Lord, keep our pastor from sinning. I don't know what he's doing, but keep him from sinning. I thank the Lord for a deacon like that, or an elder like that. And he's prayed it out loud in front of me. Luke 18, 1 says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. It's easy to give up in prayer. So I've prayed about that long enough. Or just become discouraged that the answers aren't quick enough. One thing about prayer that I've discovered is that if you listen to God, he will tell you what not to pray about as well, as to what to pray about. I've learned that here's my first prayer. Lord, tell me what you want me to pray about today. I practice this faithfully. And then I wait and listen. And some of the things I had been planning to pray about are completely wiped from my mind and other things that I hadn't even thought of are coming to my mind. God the Holy Spirit is revealing what he wants me to pray because I don't know what to pray for as I ought but the Spirit helps our infirmities so that we will know what he wants us to pray about and you'll be surprised if you'll do that. Acts 6 verse 4 tells us that the church leaders, the early church, as they formed a deacons board, they said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We'll need deacons to run the thing and we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and the word. That's very important. They knew that was what it was all about. It wasn't another committee meeting. It was prayer and the word. Acts 12, 15 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Another thing I discovered as a pastor is that when the church unitedly prayed about anything, God always answered. And usually much more quickly than we expected. And what did that mean? That didn't mean just saying to each other, I'll pray for you. Oh, I used to do that all the time. Now it's, let me pray with you. Right now. When I would see some of my church people in a store. Praying with each other. Whether it was for illness or whatever. That was a thrill. A joy to see. To see people unashamedly praying in the public. Not worrying, but sharing each other's needs from the same church, but it was also wonderful sometimes for us just to all stand together. And I'm not suggesting we're doing anything wrong here or anything, but we would all just pray about the same thing at the same time. And it was, you know, you've, heard, you've been to prayer meetings like that, I'm sure, where everybody prayed out loud, and God heard everybody. A united church praying about the same thing that God has told them to pray about is a powerful event. And it produces powerful results. I've been a little disappointed about the evangelicals during this time of COVID. I have many who write to me, former parishioners. Some of them are rednecks. In fact, I've said to my wife, I don't know what it is about me that attracted so many rednecks. (laughs) Because I don't necessarily feel that way about some of the things they feel. But it seems to me they have more vigor to speak out against the vaccine than they do about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm puzzled by that. One of my former parishioners just put a sign up out there on Vancouver Island. doesn't hurt you put any Bible sign up there going to help on Vancouver Island. But where the people walk their dogs and everything, and he told me he's put up there the scripture, we are not given a spirit of fear, but of sound mind, you know, and all that. And I wrote him back, and I said, the Lord hasn't given me any fear about taking a vaccine either. Now, he was thinking about it in a different way, I know. But folks, we've really got, there's some uptight people. I was just up north of the city here in the church that we attended we were a part of. And the congregation doesn't even dare talk about it with each other. They're so divided. Folks, whatever you believe about this, I'm glad you're all willing to at least suck the mask even though it's terribly uncomfortable. But at least... Let's remember one thing. If we talk more about Christ to people than about this, we will be doing the right thing. I conclude with Otto Mahe. Mahe (coughs) spent half of his adult life in prison in Ethiopia. He was what was known as an evangelist. And he would go to a new area and he would get a little piece of land and clear it, build a little house and start to talk to the people and witness to the people. Mahe was hated by witch doctors. Mahe was hated by the government leaders of the state church. And he was hated by the priests of the state church. Wherever he went, they hounded him. And he spent half of his life, how his wife ever stood it, I have no idea, and his children. He spent half of his adult life in prison. The present Prime Minister of Ethiopia is an evangelical. He had a Muslim father and an Orthodox mother. And Maho Mahe, three years before he died, was called to Addis Ababa, the capital city, and awarded Ethiopia's highest medal, civilian medal of honour. That's how the country has changed, in the south particularly. That a man who used who spent half his life in prison off and on was given a medal of honour. But he didn't care about that. He cared about souls. And a missionary, an Australian missionary that I know well, who spent many times with Mahe, travelling with him, told me, but this is what mahe prayed every single morning he would say this lord this is my what do you want me to do for you today i conclude with that lord This is my, what do you want me to do for you today? Amen.